So, welcome today. This is the beginning of a new series, four parts, four chapters in the little bitty uh, book of Ruth over in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, I want to go ahead and read our text. The text is found in the book of Matthew. We're gonna actually going to go to Matthew because Jesus taught us about the abundant life. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The NIV says, Have it to the fullest. So we're talking about seeing uh, the peace, the prosperity, the blessing of God, power, uh, uh, the ability to do what God has called us to do only by grace. And that comes through Jesus Christ. But Jesus gave us this statement because abundant life in the book of Ruth in that Old Testament book is going to be summed up in one word, rest. Everybody say rest. Rest has four letters. Ruth has four chapters. So think of rest when you think of Ruth. God created the world. He stepped back. He looked at it. And at the end of every creation day, he said it's good. At the end of the whole thing, he stepped back and said it's very good. We had two chapters of very good, and then here came this slithering serpent and a woman who listened to him and a man who did not speak up, a man who was silent and didn't take his place in leadership over his wife and alongside his wife, rather, is the right way to say it, to remind her, look, let's trust God. Let's not listen to a stupid talking snake. And because he didn't do that, we were plunged into sin, and the whole world has been broken since then. And so we recognize that the problems that we face politically and socially and economically, financially, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of these things have a root cause and it's called sin. And that sin has suspended the abundant life. It has put it in a place of suspension. And the only way that we can see that resolved and return to a place of rest is through one name, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's at the name of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. So when I preach Ruth to you today and for the next three Sundays following, all I'm doing is preaching Jesus because I want you to put on some New Testament glasses and I want us to look back to the Old Covenant, look back in the past, and you're going to see Jesus all over this place. You're going to see yourself literally as Ruth one who didn't deserve the grace of God, but who is going to have the grace of God poured out on her. Many, many times we preach books that are, have central characters as men, and I've been excited to be able to bring this because this one has a central character named after her, a female. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about how important that is in just a moment. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 18, grab our text this morning, and the title of the message is called The Choice of Faith. Everybody say that with me, The Choice of Faith. So faith is a choice. It's something that I choose in order to walk in all that God has given for me to walk in. Here we go. Matthew chapter 11. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand up with me one more time. Here we go. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will what? Give. give. Everybody say give. give. So mark that in your mind right there. Verse 29. Here we go. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, mark that in your mind. Last verse, here we go. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What I want you to get this morning as we begin is there is a rest that is given, and there is a rest that is found. And it's not the same thing. 
There is a rest that God gives us and there is a rest that we press into to find and take hold of as our promise from God, as an, as an inheritance that we have to drive giants out in order to possess our land, to use the Joshua promised land metaphor, okay? So my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I have one more text this morning out of Ruth. This is going to be chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Read with me. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. God, thank you for a godly choice, for the voice of Ruth right in this moment to say, I'm going where you're going, I'm going to be where you are, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. God, thank you that in this, Ruth literally identifies with Naomi, and she's headed to see the unfolding of the greatest love story. She's going to meet her heavenly Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and death. God, I ask you today that as I open up this amazing little short book in the Old Testament with this beautiful woman who is the central character, let our eyes be open to see. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Show us that Ruth is the beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. And Lord, thank you today that you help each of us to find the place that we're to have in that many-membered company, that bride that is to be, as we sang about today, spotless and without fault and without blame and without shame. Lord, thank you that you will have your bride. God, we give you praise. We ask you today, uh, even in this place, I, th I thank you, Lord, for your power and your presence to bring this message. I need you. I desperately need you more than I ever have before. I know that apart from you, I can't do anything. But God, thank you. With you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In the presence of the Lord. The one thing that I want to bring to you from this message, one thing, if you don't get anything else out of this, one thing I want you to hear, past the history, past the Christology, that's a $100 word for the study of Christ in the Old Testament, Christ in his person, Christ in his humanity, Christ in his divinity, all of these things. The one thing I want you to see, this is it. Read it with me. When the abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. There are implications of choices. Ideas have consequences. Actions have reactions. Seeds bear fruit. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap life everlasting. Do not grow weary in well-doing, the Bible says, for in the right time, in due season, we will Bring forth fruit. We will reap a harvest if we do not quit, if we do not faint, if we do not give up. All the different translations. Look at your neighbor and say, don't faint. Tell somebody else, don't give up. Now look up here at me and say, don't quit. There is no quit in us. When the abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. The purpose of the book of Ruth, number one, I want you to see, you have notes 
I, I'd love to see some, some pens or pencils moving. First of all, when you come to the house of the Lord, let me just say, say something. This is what they used to say way back at Bible camp years ago. Every time you come, you ought to have something to write with, something to write on, and a holy Bible. Everybody say, something to write with, something to write on, and a holy Bible. Well, we, get, we got the holy Bible up on the screen we got something to write on right there in front of your lap, and, and usually we give out pens or some in the seats somewhere, so you probably got all three of those tools right there. The purpose of the book of Ruth, number one, is to reveal grace during the period of the judges. Judges. Judges is a governmental period after the promised land has been apprehended by the people of Israel. Joshua has died, and God governs. Israel for periods usually of 40 years. People of Israel being led by their God to possess the promised land that had been promised them 430 years prior at the moment that they crossed Jordan and stuck their foot on the other side of the promised land and began to take possession of it. We've had several generations and they follow the Lord for a season, then they fall into idolatry. The idolatrous practices literally takes them down into a cesspool uh, of, of disobedience of the law of God. And because of that, God brings discipline to the people that are His. He brings judgments that are, that, are, that are punitive in the sense of trying to get their attention and pull them back to Him. And He would raise up a judge at the time when the people would begin to cry out because usually God sovereignly allowed another nation to come in and trample on the inheritance of the people of God. And in the moment when they would realize they couldn't defeat that enemy by themselves, they would cry out to God and God would raise up a judge. Othniel, Ehud, Samson, Deborah, another important female figure in the nation of Israel. A female was a judge at one point and God delivered uh, the enemy into her hands, delivered Sisera into her hands. Uh, even when a general didn't do his job, uh, Deborah led the charge as a mother in Israel. Come on, somebody say a mother in Israel. The purpose of the book of Ruth, it, Ruth is to establish the genealogy of David. We've, we've done eight parts or eight messages on the very first part of Poet Warrior King last year. I'm excited we're going to pick up part two in April and May this year. Preaching David again. Well, the beautiful thing about David is this whole Ruth thing connects us to who David is because Ruth is David's grandmother. Okay? Ruth marries Boaz. They have Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse is David's daddy. Actually, that would make Ruth's great-grandmother. I think I think it's a grandmother. So Ruth is David's great-grandmother. It begins to establish the line of David because a thousand years prior, God had spoken to Abraham and told him that he was going to raise up a nation of people that would be a demonstration in the earth of his glory. And God would make his name great, make his name famous through the seed of Abraham. And so God chooses a nation through Abraham. But in this story, God begins to whittle down from the nation into one specific family in which the Messiah is going to be born. The family line is going to come from David. Now, I wish I could stop and preach this, but I want you to know that the promises God makes to Abraham are all about the land. They're land promises saying, as far as you can see, it's yours. The promise that God made to David was a promise of a throne, government to rule. And so I want you to see that Jesus is the, the ancestor of both of these in his humanity. And because of that, he becomes the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham for the land, not just 
Israel in the Middle East, but the whole earth to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And because he is an ancestor of David, it is Jesus' right to sit on the throne and rule the whole earth. Well, guess what? You're in the family too. Hello, Mrs. Jesus Christ. That means he's the king and you're the queen sitting beside him in the throne with him. Come on, do, do you hear that? I, I, I want you to get a little different picture. Some of you might be in a place where you haven't been in church in a while. And especially in the southern churchianity version of the Bible Belt, it is just all kind of a, the gospel about an angry God who is mad. And let me tell you something. God poured out his anger on Jesus at Calvary. And let me tell you today, God's not mad at anybody in this room. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you right now? Thank God. He poured out everything that you and I deserve. Now the point is, will I reach out and take hold of that abundant life that is now available to me? Ruth is established to show that the calling of God is to all the nations. It's not just to the Jew, but it's to the Greek. It's to the bond and the free. It's to the Gentile as well as to the Jew. Uh, Ruth is here to show us that there's a godly remnant in every age. It's here to reveal to us the sovereignty of God. A God who sits in the heavens and rules in all of the circumstances of the lives of all of the men on the planet. Come on, everybody. Everybody say, God is sovereign. Now, this is one of two books in the Bible that has as its name a main character that is a female that is named after that particular person. This one, this one and both of them, the other one is Esther. Both of these women have great marriages that God uses to bless the nations with. Now, for those of you who think it really doesn't matter who you marry, you need to stop and take notice who Ruth gets married to and study the book of Esther and find out what God does in her life because each of these are the reverse of the other. Because Ruth is a Gentile who marries a Jew, Boaz, and establishes the line through which the Messiah would come through David that, and that has blessed all of the Gentiles on the earth because of the line of David. Because Jesus has come and he said, God so loved the world. Not just the nation of Israel, but God so loved the world. Everybody say the world. Now, Esther's different because Esther is a Jew and she marries a Gentile monarch and because of that, God saves her whole Jewish nation through that marriage. And so we've got two powerful women in the Old Testament for which a book is named. This one, Ruth. The other one, Esther. Both of them pretty short little books. This one is found right after the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. Then we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Joshua led them into the promised land. Judges is the new form of government. They're like Old Testament apostles, okay, that are, that are rising up and taking down the enemy and establishing the local church in the Old Testament, establishing the nation of Israel in particular, okay? Now, what I want you to see is that in between the book of Judges... And the end of book, in the book of Ruth, something happens because when you read the very last verse in the book of Judges, it said, every man did what was right in his own eyes because there was no what in Israel. No king. Everybody say no king. So at the end of Judges, the scripture says, it's just kind of a relativistic society of willy-nilly, everybody's doing whatever the heck they want to and calling it their own truth, and how, how dare you challenge me in my truth because your truth and my truth, you, you know, your truth is no better than my truth. And it's a spirit of relativism which makes this period in the Bible so applicable to today that it's amazing. 
There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. But it, four chapters later, by the end of the book of Ruth, the very last word, I love it, the very last word of the book of Ruth is David. Everybody say David. So there was a period when there was no king, and God already has in mind to raise up a good king. Now this is before even Saul comes on the scene, or his son Ishbosheth, who takes his place just for a short few months before David comes to the throne. So in the period when there was no king, and then Ruth ends with the one word David. So Ruth was David's great-grandmother. Ultimately, this book points to the Lord Jesus Christ who descends from Ruth and Boaz. This is a love story. You won't meet Boaz until next week, but on this Valentine's Day, we're starting and beginning a series. It's an amazing love series between two people, Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is a type of the bride of Christ. Boaz a type of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This little bitty four-chapter book is a panoramic view of redemption, taking the believer from unbelief, from the initial rebirth into the kingdom of God, into the restoration of the whole creation. Not just a home in heaven, but a whole restored new heavens and new earth. Somebody say amen. All right, move with me. This is the purpose of the book that we just got. So we got some key words we want to look at. First one, you're going to see 14 times either kinsmen or kinsmen's, as in possessive, something that belongs to the kinsman or kinsmen, plural. You're going to see that 14 times in the book. You're going to see uh, grace and favor will appear three times in this book. So you're talking about the unearned, unmerited mercy, loving kindness, chesed, the favor of God being poured out upon the people who cry out to Him and believe and hear in faith. You're going to see the word redeem or redeeming nine times in the book of Ruth. So these are key words that are going to give us some ideas. The kinsman redeemer, you're going to see those two words put together, is a picture of Jesus Christ who is related to us because Jesus is both God and man. He is related to us through Adam. And so he is our kinsman redeemer who steps in and buys us back. Hebrew word goel. He is the one who comes and takes possession and buys us so that you become the purchased possession of the blood of the lamb. Come on, somebody. And then finally, the last one, three times you're going to see the book of, re the, the book of rest. In the book of Ruth is the word rest. Everybody say rest. rest. Ruth has four chapters. Rest has four letters. So really associate that. Rest and abundant life are synonymous. So when we think about those things, they go hand in hand. we got some key characters that I want to get out of the way, and then I'm going to just move through the scriptures this morning, and we'll get as far as we can, okay, in chapter 1. Uh, first of all, Boaz is, is Jesus Christ in this book. He is a picture of the one, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Son of God, the kinsman redeemer. His name means strength. Now, now, I want you to think about this because we lose sight of this when we name our children Steve and, and Debbie and, and Michael and whatever. We, we fail to realize that every one of those names has a meaning. And so when these names are given in Hebrew to those children, it's as if mama is saying, strength, get in here. Okay? All right. Uh, next in line, if you would, give me Naomi or Orpah. Orpah is next. Now, this is where Oprah Winfrey's name comes from. Um, she was given a Bible name and they misspelled her name on her birth certificate. And instead of calling her Opa, 
Orpah, they called her Oprah. Now, I've heard her tell this story myself, and so I know for a fact that it's the truth. She was named for this Old Testament female character right here who is going to be married to one of Naomi's sons, Orpah. Uh, but her name means to turn back. So turning the back or stiff-necked is what Orpah means, okay? Now, a- after Orpah, we have Naomi. Naomi's kind of the mama in, in, in this story. And Naomi's name means pleasant. And she was an attractive woman, uh, beautiful. But something's going to happen to her in Ruth, and we're going to tell you about that in just a little bit. And then we have Ruth, who's the central character of the story, whose name literally means attractive and comely and friend, friend of the king. How would you like to be called friend of the king? Every time somebody calls your name, friend of the king, where are you? And you establish your identity on that fact. The Hebrew word Ruth. It's like R-U-W-T-H, big heavy Ruth would be the way they would say it. Now, I don't mean they made funny faces, but Ruth, it would be deep in the throat. Ruth means friend of the king, okay? Uh, Elimelech, who is Naomi's husband, his name means my God is king. That's another good one. My God is king, you better get out of the well. You're going to fall in. Can you hear mama calling, my God is king? Now, Elimelech and Naomi get married, and they have two boys. They have two boys that are going to be married to Orpah and Ruth. And here are their names. Something happened with Elimelech and Naomi. I don't know what in the world they were thinking when they, when they named their boys, because the first one's name is Malon. Hey, sick, weak, and afflicted, get in here. How would you like that? You little sick piece of... Anyway, uh, pining, destruction. Why would somebody, and let me tell you why they did this, because many times um, a name was given because of the current state of the nation. Um, you, you remember the story of, of Eli's grandson was born in the time when the ark got stolen, and uh, the, 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 the daughter-in-law of Eli gave birth to the baby, and she named him Ichabod, which means the glory's gone. Ichabod, you've heard that Ichabod, you've heard Ichabod Crane in the... The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod means the glory's gone because literally the Ark of God had been stolen. So many times the people of Israel would name their children based on a societal or a, an economic or maybe a famine. Um, Isaiah named one of his sons Mayor Shalal Hashbaz, which means the judgment of God is coming and it's getting here in a hurry. Can you imagine that mouthful? I just have to call him Mayor. Judgment of God is coming and it's getting here in a hurry. Well, they were very, very particular about the names they gave their children. So Elimelech is married to Naomi. And Naomi and Elimelech have two boys, Malon, sick, weak, and afflicted, Kilion, pining and destruction. And they marry Orpah and Ruth. Okay, so now that gives you a little bit of a background, the key words we're going to hear, the characters that are going to be in the story, and we roll into chapter 1 now where we see that abundant life is going to be forsaken. And you remember the one thing, when abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. When is rest lost? When abundant life is forsaken. Okay, two points, and then I'm going to be finished this morning. Number one, Naomi's sorrows. Look at Naomi's sorrows. I'm reading. In the days... When the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Now stop right there. I want to tell you what God does when a people turn from Him and begin to serve false idols. 
the judgment of God over and over and over through the whole Old Covenant comes upon the land in one of four ways. Famine, war, pestilence, and death. So famine has come into the land because the people of God have turned from the Lord and they have disobeyed the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not, number two, make unto thee any graven images or worship any idols. You don't make idols. So they've broken two commandments. And because of that, it is not just something that was casual and done one day or another, but it's a deep, deep, deep pattern of sin. And because of that, God brings circumstances in His sovereignty to get the attention of the idolatrous nation and the Lord sends a famine. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. Now, before we get very far in this, I want you to know where he's been living. He lives in Bethlehem, Judea. Bethlehem is the place where Jesus is going to be born in a couple of thousand years. It's the place where Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, Out of you, at least of all the princes of Israel, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, in Judea shall one come who shall rule with the nations with a rod. And so the prophecy goes forth. Isaiah prophesies that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14, 9 and 6. He says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. The beautiful thing is he says a, 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 a son is born. He says, he says a son is given. He says a child is born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful. This is the place where Jesus is going to be born. And isn't it, isn't it fitting because the place is Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Isn't that the right place for the bread of heaven to be born? In a city called the house of bread? Does anybody know what Judah means? I heard somebody whisper it. Say it real loud. Praise. Everybody say praise. So they're living in the house of bread and praise. And a famine hits and they get up and leave the house of bread and praise. Now, do you think that's a very good idea? You're living already in the house of bread and praise and circumstances get bad and you pull out and take your family and let's go ahead and pick up and read in verse 2. The man's name was my God is king, Elimelech. And his wife was pleasant one, Naomi. Their two sons, Malon, sick, weak, and afflicted, and Kilion, pining in destruction, they were Ephrathites. This means fruitfulness. It means to bring increase. Now, what is the word the Lord gave us this year? Everybody say increase. Everybody say enlarge. So they're living in the house of bread and praise. A famine hits, and my God is king decides to not live like his God is king. Elimelech decides, we're not going to stay here. We're going to go where there's some better opportunities. We're going we're to go find us a better local church because there's a famine here, the economic situation. We're in a great place where the bread is good and the praise is amazing, but, but there's a famine out there and, I, and my business is not doing too good, so I'm going to leave the house of bread and praise and I'm going to go somewhere else because I, 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 I'm I'm, my faith isn't strong enough to trust that God can feed me. So I can stay in the house of bread and praise. Come on, I'm preaching already this morning. 
They were Ephrathites, fruitfulness to bring forth increase, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. When they reached Moab, look at these words. What did they do? They settled there. Too often people who have tasted of the Spirit-filled life and the fruits of the Spirit will settle for something less because it's easy and comfortable and they don't have to exercise any faith to trust God to be able to stay in the house of bread and praise. And Moab, I want you to remember, Moab is the product of incestuous drunkenness, drunken incest. Lot is, is gotten drunk by his two daughters that are afraid that they're not going to get married and have any babies. And his two daughters get him drunk. Each one goes in one night after the other, sleeps with their dad. This is in the Bible. Forgive me if it makes anybody uncomfortable, but this is Scripture. And, and both of those girls get pregnant. One gets pregnant with a son by the name of Ben-Ami, who becomes the father of the Ammonites, which is one of the arch enemies of Israel. The other one gets pregnant and names her son Moab, which is another one of the arch enemies of Israel. How many of you know when you break the law of God and you birth something completely out of order in drunkenness and an incestuous relationship with a deal under the table, no matter how good it looks, promising you business or life or an exciting opportunity, when you do something outside of the will of God, you're going to birth something that will be a, an enemy of the will of God in your life. Amen. You may birth a Moab or you may birth some Ammonites. And your choices have consequences. Listen, we, 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 I preach a gospel that will, that will wake you up and make you realize you've got to come to Jesus. And it matters the choices that you make. Help me preach a little bit in this place this morning. And they went down to Moab and they thought they were just going to be temporary. We're just going to go for a little while. But when you get in a place that's comfortable and starts drawing you away from God, it's too easy to get there and settle down. Settle for something less than what God has for you. It's so easy to think, it'll just be a little while, we're just going to hang out here for a couple of years. And the scripture says, as we read, 10 years later, 10 years is a long time to be away from the house of bread and praise. 10 years is a long time to be disconnected and out away from the will of God. Don't shout me down this morning because I'm preaching so good because I know I'm preaching really good today. Look at verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left. Everybody say left. Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One woman, or one married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, the Bible says both Malon and Kilion died. Sick, weak, and afflicted, and pining and destruction finally kicked the bucket. So here we go. Elimelech's dead. Malon and Kilion are dead. And we got three women left. We got Naomi who, who left full. Her name means pleasant, attractive, comely. She's a picture of a spirit-filled woman in a great local church, excited about the presence of God in the house of bread, hearing the word, eating the, the bread from heaven in a great place where there's praise. It's a picture of, of food and worship that are tied together of both spirit and in truth. And there's a balance and people are growing and they're maturing, but things get a little bit bad out there in the world and folks get antsy and they pick up and leave the house of bread and praise because they got offended or maybe they weren't comfortable or they didn't get what they wanted. Come on, I'm preaching so good this morning. I want you to see this. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Guys, what I want you to see is decisions we make will breed death. When we leave the house of bread and praise and get out of the will of God and we allow ourselves to be drawn into the world, it's going to only produce fruit that's going to give us sick, weak, death results and effects. Somebody say amen. amen. All, that, all that you produce will die when you leave the house of bread and praise. This left Naomi alone with her two sons of her husband. I'm sorry, without the two sons of her husband is what the scripture says. Hear this principle this morning, ladies. When a woman lets her husband lead her into the world, all she is left with is that which is sick and dying. That one's kind of crawling around on the floor this morning. I'm going to bounce it back up and throw it to the hoop again. When a woman lets her husband lead her out of the house of bread and praise, all that you produce is going to be that which is sick and dying. Somebody say amen. amen. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Amen. Look, here we go. Naomi and Ruth return. Look at this. This that you're about to see is the key verse in this chapter. Then Naomi heard. What does the Bible say? Comes by hearing. Everybody say faith. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Naomi heard, look at this. Naomi heard in Moab. She's over there in that place literally that's adjacent to the Dead Sea. You know, God doesn't even, even have any coincidences in the geography of this thing. They're dwelling in the land of the Dead Sea where nothing can grow. Moab, the Bible says Naomi heard. She got a herd. God, God got a herd. I don't know where that came from. God has a way to get a herd on to get you to hear even when you're living in a place of a product of incestuous drunkenness. He can get a word to you no matter how far you've backslid into sin. He can get a word to you wherever you're living. And you could be in the destruction of Moab having lost everything. With everything you've touched, it's died and it's gotten sick and produced the wages of sin and death. But God has a way to reach you like we sang this morning in the middle of being a child of wrath. He made me alive by His mercy. I'm going to tell you, Ruth is a preaching book. You wouldn't think it. It's an amazing love story, but it's a book I'm going to get my preach on this month. Hallelujah. <laughs> then Naomi heard, faith comes by hearing in Moab, that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Now, guys, what does this have to do with today? We're living in the most blessed nation on the planet. There is no famine in America. Oh, yes, there is. It has nothing to do with wheat or bread, but it has everything to do with bread and the Word. Amen. Amos says that in the last days there will be a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Amen. God's Word is being blasted by every available medium, moving through every available wave through the atmosphere on cell and shortwave and television and everything through the internet and Wi-Fi and all of these other opportunities, radio, FM, AM, all kinds of things being sung about, being preached. But yet in the middle of this, we are a nation that is no longer Christian. We, are, we have a famine, not for the words of the Lord, but for the hearing of the words of the Lord. That's what Amos said. Do you see that? Can I jar you just a little bit this morning to see how applicable this book is? And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of when the gospel is being shouted from the housetops in America, Southern Christianity is literally saturated with hearing about the cross and Jesus dying for our sins. And so many people desperately need to come to Christ, but they can't hear because there's a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. 
Naomi's in Moab and she hears that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now let's move quickly. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Everybody, I want you to look up here real quick. No matter where you are, there is always a road that will lead you back to a place of rest that you have forsaken. You can't move so far away from God that His GPS can't track you and reroute you and show you how to get back into the abundant life. There are, but you know what? Let me tell you. There's always a road, but you've got to get up off your blessed assurance and decide that you're going to take the road and go back home. Look at your neighbor and say, go back home. Mm -mm -mm. There's always a road to your answer, but you have to get up and take the road. Look at your neighbor and say, mm, say take the road. <laughs> Look at verse 8. But on the way, and isn't that always what happens? But on the way, on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and me. She's trying to give them an out. Oh, oh Ma and Kill died. Malon and Kilion. And, and Naomi's just trying to go, look, you're not bound to me. Go back to your own people and your homeland. And you're, you're, you're both young and you're good looking. And God will raise somebody up. And, you know, maybe you can get on Match.com or Christian single, ready to mingle. Get on whatever you got to get to see. see you find you somebody. <laughs> I got to quit. On the way, Naomi said this. And this is what happened. Look what happened. Verse 9. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So they're just having a good old crying jag. Everybody's sitting around crying in their beer. All right, here we go, verse 10. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Well, that's a good response. Verse 11. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? Verse 12. No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Listen, this woman has forgotten that she is the daughter of Abraham and Sarah. And if God did it for Sarah and woke up her dead womb at 90, he could have done it for Naomi again too. But Naomi's not preaching faith. She's preaching doubt and unbelief, and she ain't got nothing but a sad song to sing. And when I'm going to tell you, when you get around somebody that sings a sad song, it's way too easy to pick up the tune and start singing it yourself. You need, to, you need to get around some folks that are singing and talking faith because it's going to affect your outlook. Come on, somebody. She's not talking faith. She's forgotten who she is. And she's singing out of a wrong identity because she stayed in Moab so long. Verse 13, look with me. Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Of course not. No, my daughters, things are far more bitter. Everybody say bitter. Oh, God, help us. Because Naomi is such a typical person in the local church who's been offended, who's gotten hurt. Circumstances didn't happen the way she wanted them. She made plans and life happened and just upset her apple cart. And instead of leaning into God and grabbing hold of faith and letting the Lord be her shelter and the Lord be her portion and even her husband after Elimelech had died, she instead of getting better, she just got bitter. She got angry. And bitterness always brings resentment and resentment will bring anger. We can't afford as the people of God to get bitter. We can't be 
the people of God in the delta, if we let our circumstances make us bitter, we have to rise up in faith and trust God and let them make us better. Things are far worse, far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. You know, that's just a complete, total misrepresentation because of a wrong perspective. God didn't do anything to Naomi. She left and submitted with a husband who literally defied his own name, my God is king, and instead of trusting God and walking in faith, he got up and left the house of bread and praise and went over to Moab, to a place of deadness, to a place of idolatry, trying to earn a living for his family. And what happened? He died and both of his boys died because the wages of sin will always produce death. You leave the house of bread and praise, you ain't got nothing left. And this is the crazy thing. Listen, Proverbs 19, verse 3. This is so many times I've seen it happen. She was, she was dealing with things that, were, that had been based upon her husband's decisions to which she had submitted herself. Proverbs 19.3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then get angry at God. Our own rebellion. And then we rage in our hearts to the Lord. We make decisions that have consequences and then we get ticked off at God and think it's God's fault when we made the decisions that got us to the place where we are. We took the road. We took the steps. And no matter how far away we get, there's always a road back, but i got to get up and take the road. Verse 14. Are you getting anything out of this? And again, they wept together. And Orpah, what does Orpah mean? Stiff-necked, turning back. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. Obviously, the one whose name means turning the back is going to turn her back. She doesn't understand covenant. She just gets up and leaves when it's not convenient. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Everybody say covenant. A lot of folks use the word and don't even have any idea what it means. They change marriages like some people change underwear. Don't understand that God hates covenant breaking. Changing jobs because they hate this boss. Well, they've hated the last five too. I'll be honest with you, I get, stand, I get tired of standing in prayer meetings, praying for folk to get a job. In the first three or four months, they're excited about it. And then by six months, oh, it's awful, and the boss is terrible. And I want to go, honey, this is the fifth time we prayed you a job in. Maybe it's not everybody else's problem. <laughs> Can I have an amen? Anybody brave enough to say amen? How, how many of you know it's time to grow up? So much of the church is concerned about going up. How many you know when Jesus comes, we'll go wherever he takes us. And I don't have to be concerned and fretting about going up, but I need to be involved in growing up. Look at your neighbor and say, I got to grow up. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Wow. See, if you don't stay, if you don't understand covenant, you'll go back to your old ways. You go back to the old relationships, the old haunts, gods that you used to serve. Naomi even says you should do the same. But look at Ruth. This is the next key verse, and we're going to wrap this up this morning. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Everybody say repentance. She's already turned and left her own country. Ruth was called the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. It appears five times in the book of Ruth. Five is the number of grace. Ruth has grace all over her. God is calling her as a Gentile to become part of Israel, to become part of the people of God. 
shows us from the outset that God was not just exclusively dealing with one people, but God had a heart for the whole world. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. The gospel is to the whole world. Come on, somebody. He says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever I go, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. We say this over folks at weddings to represent the power of covenantal love between husband and wife. But many times we lose the realization that the context was actually between two women friends here who are walking in covenant together side by side. Amos 3, 3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? How many of you know I'm walking with folks? doesn't mean we agree on every little dotted I and cross T, but we, are, we have agreed that God has called us to walk together in covenant. And as long as everybody in the party remembers what that covenant is, that God has set us together, and if we're apart, it won't be the same. It's not like you can just go somewhere else and find that same thing. If God has put you with somebody, if God has bonded you with somebody, if He sets you as a member in particular in a body, you can't just decide, I'm going to get mad and take my football and go home and go somewhere else. Because it's not about any particular local church, but it's about you leaving the house of bread and praise. Bethlehem of Judea. Ruth understood covenant. And right here, if you'll look at this, you can literally see. Go back, because I want you to see. Go back to verse 16. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. She had already turned from her own country. Everybody say repentance. Wherever you go, I will go. Look, that right there is, I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen. Look, this is, I'm going to preach. You're going to see the panorama of redemption right here. Ruth, it says, wherever you go, I will go. I'm going to follow you. Wherever you live, I will live. That's abiding in Christ. Your people will be my people. I'm going to identify with Jesus. Amen. Your God will be my God. All of a sudden, I've got a relationship that's based on worship now because something is moving and working. Next verse. Look at this, wherever you die, I will die. That's identification with the cross. Jesus didn't just die for me, but he died as me. He took my sins and he paid the penalty for them. And in the cross, I can see my death of the old man. And when Jesus was buried in baptism, guess what I'm identifying with? Wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. I'm being buried and identifying with the death of Jesus and raised up in newness of life. Ruth has given you the plan of salvation right there. I'm turning from my past. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to identify with your people as my people. Your God is my God. I will worship Him. Where you die, I will die. I'm going to kiss the cross and embrace a new life. Bury the old in baptism. That's the importance of this tub right here. It's not just getting somebody wet. If you have trusted Jesus and you haven't taken that next step, you are an uninitiated believer. You need to bury the old. You need to get rid of the past. You need to identify with the new thing that Jesus is doing in your life in the very same way that God delivered all of the Israelites out of Egypt. And the hordes of Pharaoh, the hosts of hell, are chasing them on their heels. God waited until that last little crippled old granny clampet and that little yapping dog made it across. And Cecil B. DeMille's was a little... What was it? What are those little dogs? Little Yorkie. It runs. Yeah, a little yapper. It finally gets across, and, and they're scared because here comes, here comes all of the chariots and the horsemen of, of Pharaoh, and they're already 
midway into the riverbed of the Nile. And God's, God's waiting. He's waiting just for the right time. Children of Israel are terrified. But God waits until all of Pharaoh's horsemen and chariots get into the middle of the, of the, of the Red Sea. I said the Nile. I mean the Red Sea. And at that moment, God said, close the hinges. And he swallows up and drowns everything from their past. That's what happens in those waters of baptism right there. You cut off the influence of the old man. You bury the old man. You bury the past. And you get up in newness of life. Come on, somebody. Ruth says, no. No. Orpah may turn and go, but I'm not going to backslide and go back. This is the best that I can ever imagine. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Man, this is so amazing. And she hasn't even met Boaz yet. Come back next Sunday. She's going to meet Boaz. Va, 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 voom. Here we go. 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Come on, when you, when you really meet covenant, you don't even need anything else to say. Because you can know that when somebody's got your back, you don't even need words. There's a deep abiding trust. She's going. She's going with me. No matter how hard it is, she's in covenant with me. We're going to walk together. I got your back. Well, I wish I had time to preach that this morning because some folks in the room need to hear it. Verse 19, look here. So the two of them continued on their journey when they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Let me tell you why they did. Because she looked so bad. Ten years out of death and dying. Ten years being out of the house of bread and praise. And it's going to affect the way you look. She left beautiful and her, she was the representation of her name, pleasant one and attractive and comely. But she looked so bad, they all went, is this Naomi? People, that's what the world will do to you. It will wear you out. It will give you pleasure for a season. But I'm going to tell you, it, it will eventually kill you if you don't get back to the house of bread and praise. Read with me and let me finish this chapter. Verse 20, I got three verses and I'm done. Don't call me, look at this Naomi. Oh my, my, my. Oh, let this self, selfish, attention-seeking spirit on Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, she responded, and said, call me Mara. Everybody say Mara. Mara means bitter, bitterness. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. Now, she's, she's already booked a flight. She's going to be on Mori Povich and tell her story. Some of y'all got that. Uh, in, anyhow, how, how awful it is. And she's going to get up. I, I, I got to tell y'all a story real quick. Let me go ahead and finish reading two verses. Here we go. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Look, look how she's lying and misrepresenting the Lord. Her own decisions brought her home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? No, honey, you disobeyed God. I, hate, I despise that. When people get out and just go willy-nilly, break the will of God, break the law of God, and when bad stuff happens, the first thing out of their mouth is everything God's done wrong to them. Oh, I'm preaching so good this morning. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Everybody say Pentecost. Come back next week. We're going to get the Spirit of God poured out, and Ruth is going to meet Boaz. But let me tell you about this Mara thing here. A lot of opportunities have exploded for my daughter, Abby. She's leaving today for a 10 city tour with Priscilla Shire singing. And I'm not just trying to brag to tell you. I, this is a story that I've only told a couple people. I want you to hear this. 
She's been contacted by two or three reality TV shows wanting her to be on the show. Now, I don't just mean for a, an appearance, but I mean be a part of the show. There's a new show that they're making right now called PK Rehab. Does anybody know what PK stands for? Preacher's Kids. And so what they've done is, and if, you, if you see Abby's Instagram, the only line is there is says Preacher's Kid from West Memphis, Arkansas. Preacher's Daughter is what Abby said. And so all of this stuff has gotten the attention literally of three of the four major record labels and phone calls and pursuing all this kind of stuff. But it's also gotten the attention of some TV media. And so a lady calls Abby, and she is a life coach, and one of the major networks is putting together a reality TV show called PK Rehab. And they've, they've already got a big, huge L.A. mansion that they're all going to have their own room and move into for a whole semester. And basically, they sit around and talk about how, how the church has wronged them. And let me just say this. Preacher's kids go through stuff that unless you are one, you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You don't understand it because they live in a fishbowl. And everybody expects more of the preacher's kid than they do of their own. If you knew how many times in the middle of the day somebody's called me and said, hey, I saw Drew's truck, and I, I got a little aggravated, but I didn't tell that person off. I said, he's doing right what he's supposed to do, and I know that he's out of school today. He's, he has my blessing. And all, you know, I want to go, if I called all the people, when I see their kids out, they, they'd get mad at me and leave victory. I'm at 1014, should be saying the amen to this message, but I'm saying some real good stuff right now, and I ain't finished yet. And Abby's been hurt. People have said things. They've said things to her face. They've said things behind her back, and they've come back around. And she said, she said to the lady, she said, you know what, I, I've been raised in church, and my dad my dad's is a man of authority, and he's strong. And she said, you know, I've been hurt. I've been hurt by the people. I've been hurt by him. She said, but I'm going to tell you something. I've come to grips with realizing that God used every one of those circumstances to make me strong as a woman of God like I am today. And she said, ma'am, I don't know how you got my name or how you even got my number, but let me tell you something. The church is the hope of the world. The church is God's answer for dying humanity. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, if I start thinking about things and people said to me and things that have hurt me, I can get a little bit emotional and maybe even get a little bit upset and have to maybe even pray through it. But the last thing I'm going to do is get on television and bash God's hope for the world. And the woman said, okay, thank you, click, and hung up on Abby. And Abby called and told me that, and I, I was crying on the other end going, God, thank you that I didn't mess up my child. Thank you that she still loves me and she loves God with all of her heart and she loves, she loves Jesus. And, and, and she's been able to come to grips and reconcile the fact that everybody in here is just human and we're broken and we don't mean to, but we hurt each other. And, and, and the fact that God is able to work all things together for our good and actually use those circumstances to grow us to be the strong people of God that we're called to be. Instead of sitting around playing the blame game, she's been able to reconcile it and say, no, I'm not going to bash the church because that's where God has given the hope for the world to change. Thank you, honey. Click. Bye. Now, let me just say to, to you this morning, some of you are sitting here. I, I may have hurt you, and, and God knows it. I hope, I, I, as far as I know, I'm clearing with everybody in the room. It's never intended. If I have, tell me. Please, I'm, I'm approachable. If another brother or sister in this room has hurt you or wounded you, don't carry that thing around and let your pleasantness and, as Naomi become Mara. And let your bitterness take over and you end up falling out of the house of bread and praise. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? Come on, can somebody smell what I'm stepping in here a little bit? Come on, this is being real. Honey, if I quit every time I was hurt, this church wouldn't be two years old. It would have ended 25 years ago. If every time somebody looked at me and said something crosswise, and if I was after the flesh, I'd have been in jail because I, I wanted to lay hands suddenly on a couple of people over the years. Especially when I knew they'd hurt my daughter's feelings. I'm a daddy. Is anybody in the room relating to what I'm saying at all? You know what? I'm over just a little bit, but I want you to bow your heads with me and pray. Jesus, you came that we could have abundant life. That we could walk in rest. But God, we've walked away from the abundant life and the rest is lost and the abundant life has been forsaken. Lord, we've chased fairy tales and fantasies, things that we thought opportunities and we called on the will of God and got up and left the house of bread and praise and run into the world. Forgive us, Jesus. Lord, there's somebody sitting here in the sound of my voice this morning who thinks that they've gone down a road so far that there's no way back, but I'm telling you, there's a road home. There's a road back to Bethlehem. There's a road back to the house of bread and praise. Now that, I'm not preaching victory. I'm talking about Jesus. He's the house of bread and he's the praise. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Decisions have consequences. Choices bring results. Death will always be produced when we run into the world and we leave God's abundant life. 